0: a little something extra from the Appleseed. And now, here's your host, Sam Payne.
1: It's such a pleasure to have you with us for a little something extra here in the podcast. Just about every day, we post a full hour-long episode of the Appleseed filled with stories for you and your family, and also a little something extra, usually inspired by something that we heard on the episode. And on today's episode, you heard a story about a kid who has to best an evil shark in order to get his dinner. And that put us in mind of stories about kids up against tough animal odds. And that got us thinking about the terrific story Peter and the Wolf as immortalized in the musical story by the Russian composer Sergei Prokofiev. And so we thought we'd bring you a little conversation about Peter and the Wolf as today's Appleseed Extra. Now you know the story of Peter and the Wolf, but for those of you who haven't heard it in a while, here's a brief refresher. is a young pioneer. The Russian equivalent, really, of a boy scout who's gone to visit his grandfather in the countryside. And one beautiful day, Peter decides to venture beyond the safety of his grandfather's garden, out into the meadow. And he encounters a duck and a bird, and they argue over which is more bird-like <laughs> as a cat stalks them close by. Well, Peter warns them of the nearby danger, and the birds fly or swim to safety. Peter continues to enjoy the peace and beauty of the countryside, but is quickly interrupted by his grandfather, who orders him indoors at once, warning him that there could be danger in the seemingly idyllic setting. What if a wolf should come, he asks. Peter, unperturbed, declares that he has no fear of wolves, but he obeys his grandfather, returns to the garden, and as soon as he does so, a massive, menacing wolf lumbers out of the forest. The creatures retreat to safety, but the duck, unable to outrun the wolf, is swallowed whole. Peter, seeing this, devises a plan by which he can capture the wolf and with the help of the animals and a stout rope he climbs a tree and manages to ensnare the wolf with a noose around its tail. Well with the wolf successfully captured Peter stops a group of hunters who have come out of the forest and he asks them to assist him in transporting the wolf to a nearby zoo. Well, they leave in a grand victory parade. Peter, followed by the bird, the cat, the grandfather, the hunters, and, of course, the unfortunate wolf. You can even hear the duck quacking along from inside the belly of the wolf. And with that... We put together a little roundtable of people who love this story as much as we do. Included there are Dr. Tony Brown, Dr. Katya Jordan, and Dr. Luke Howard, all professors here at Brigham Young University. Dr. Brown and Dr. Jordan come to us from the Department of German and Russian, and Dr. Howard comes to us from the School of Music. All experts in their fields were delighted to hear their insights and musings on this beloved musical tale. And maybe because we're dealing with a piece of music, we look first to our professor of music, Luke Howard. Talk to us a little bit about, maybe about how Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf has impacted you. For me, it was Leonard Bernstein, yeah.
2: uh, but still on vinyl. Yeah. And, and I still have that narration and that performance uh, in my head all the time. Uh, but Prokofiev and, and Peter and the Wolf is a fascinating story, a, a very political story, mm. actually. Prokofiev had left the Soviet Union uh, after the October Revolution and uh, then decided on his own to go back. He was homesick. He he wanted to find his roots again in music and and have some success after... uh, not having a lot of success in the West. And Peter and the Wolf kind of represents uh, an attempt to show that he could do what the, the Soviet government wanted him to do, to mm. write uh, good educational stories that uh, emboldened the youth of uh, the Soviet Union to take chances and uh, come up with solutions and ignore the old generation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was a, a marvelous success. Yeah. Peter and his Tiny little toy gun, right? <laughs> yeah. Became a, a hero for so many of us when we were tiny kids ourselves. You know? mm-hmm.
2: But for Prokofiev, it was essentially a story with music, yeah. more than it was a political statement. Sure. He, he always tried to stay above the fray.
1: Katya Jordan, maybe talk about, uh, talk about, is this a piece that seeped into your childhood as well?
0: Well, I definitely remember that moment when I was sitting on the floor in our living room and I was surfing, two or three channels that we had on TV back in the Soviet <laughs> Russia. And I stumbled across Peter and the Wolf, a cartoon yeah. uh, version of Peter and the Wolf. I was just fascinated. You know, I, I was just wondering, you know, the budding literary scholar in me, uh, was wondering, uh, is this a Soviet all-male retelling of Little Red Riding Hood because huh. instead of little girl, you have a little boy. Instead sure. of grandma, you have a grandpa. And then the question in my mind was, well, are they going to you know shoot the wolf? Or are they going to cut him open? And when the duck was swallowed, um, my question was, well, okay, the duck is alive. Uh, they're not going to kill the wolf. They're taking it to the zoo. Mm-hmm. But how are they going to get the duck out? Um, <laughs> so on the one hand, yes, it's a, it's a very peaceful ending. You know, nobody gets killed, but the poor duck is still trapped. So how do you, how do you solve that? So th- that, that's, my, that's my memory of it.
1: So I think I might be interested in coming back in just a moment to comparisons between Peter and the Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood. But first, Tony Brown, your
3: first experience with Peter and the Wolf. Well, I grew up in a home uh, full of music. Both of my parents were professional musicians. My father taught music composition at University of North Texas, and my mother taught uh, flute performance at University of Texas at Arlington. And in our back room, in the study where my mother taught flute, um, we had rows of LPs. And in the summer months, when, when I had a lot of time on my hands as a kid, my parents would insist that I would spend a good 20 to 30 minutes every day doing something that they would consider cultural, which meant <laughs> something other than riding my bike or, right. or watching TV or something like that. So what that typically translated into is listening to something on one of those LPs. And so my first experience with Peter the Wolf was pulling it out of the shelf. And uh, I don't remember who the the narrator was, Mm. but um, I think it was the instrumentation that really stood out in my mind. Maybe part of that was, you know, I grew up hearing flute all my life. So that was a very familiar (laughs) tune. And uh, uh, who couldn't remember the frightening French horns?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wolves. We we love to hate them. Where does that
3: come from? Well, my I guess my take on it is it's the story that's as old as time. It's the journey. It's yeah. the hero journey. And Peter's no exception in that way, right? Yeah. Uh, he leaves the comforts of his grandfather's garden and house and venturing forth into the world which is really about that sort of developing uh, maturity consciousness and becoming an individual and along any kind of a journey one's going to have those encounters with scary demons or scary creatures whether it's a dragon or in this case a wolf But I think what's important to recognize that uh, with all of these stories is that the hero um, inevitably or ultimately has to become reconciled mm. with that enemy, whatever it may be. And really, uh, you could say that it's one's own shadow mm. in the final analysis, one's own dark side. and. And what better sort of metaphor for something scary and dark than this animal, this wolf?
1: Katya, I, I, I keep looking at you as sort of, you know, you grew up in the land of Peter and the wolf, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. In more ways than one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Talk a little bit about how this story and stories like it are, are perceived where you grew up.
0: So if we look at the folklore stories, uh, wolves are always, uh, they're perpetually hungry, but they're not very bright. They're always outsmarted by uh, foxes or, uh, or humans. So here, you know, having that knowledge, you know, the pr- prior knowledge of folk stories, you know, I as a child knew that the wolf was not going to get away with mm-hmm. what he has done. That part of you know, the Russian folk tales certainly uh, create a certain expectation uh, for Russian viewers yeah. who are familiar with that tradition.
1: I'm thinking about your uh, assertion that the wolf is strong and hungry, but not very bright. Right? Right. <laughs> and you have these stories. I mean, I'm thinking now not only about things like Little Red Riding Hood, but also about things like The Three Little Pigs. You yeah. know, right. These tri- These right. triumphs yeah. of 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 wit and yeah. and and even teamwork, you know, mm-hmm. over the yeah. over the brute. I wanted to pick up on something Katja
2: said because I grew up in a country where we don't have wolves. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me the wolf was never the enemy. It was the hunters. <laughs> much more scared of the hunters than the wolf the wolf never presents a threat to peter in my mind mm-hmm. but peter has to tell the hunters don't shoot because right. you might yeah. get me and uh and the wolf ends up having a pretty nice life at the end of this story and uh i, I was always much more scared of the hunters
3: i'd have to agree with luke's uh, observation about the hunters because i mean again going back to this idea of um the the, the journey and the hero if Peter were to have shot the the wolf, there wouldn't be a story.
1: You're suggesting that that's not, in fact, a cop out, but that but no. that the fact that everybody lives is part of mm-hmm. the potency of the story and and integrated mm-hmm. into what the story can say to us.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that you can read this story on multiple levels. Prokofiev was not wanting to get involved in the whole. Uh, political riffraff of the time I mean this was a very dangerous time to be making political statements 1936 Mm. this is the heat of the of uh, the purges in the Soviet era Uh, Prokofiev had to walk a very very fine line Mm. as he was composing this Um, and yet there's that sense that um, you know there's a line in there it says if a wolf should come out of the forest then what would you do and a child hearing that wouldn't you know make heads or tails of it, other than that's just an interesting line. But keep in mind that, as they were pitching this, Peter became a young pioneer, hmm. right in which was the children's mm-hmm. uh, version of our yeah. scouts, right, who then go on to become the some moles and if you if you recall with this at this time period, Children were, were praised for um, basically ratting on their parents if they overheard their parents criticizing the government for mm. one reason or another, and so that you can imagine parents hearing this and thinking, "Oh boy, we better be careful," <laughs> you know, because maybe my child will think we're the wolves. Mm. Right and uh, and want to report us so it can be read on multiple levels. Do I think that Prokofiev had that in mind? No, but uh, the, the the Soviet authorities certainly played off of this theme, and in their own way did politicize it. It's account.
2: a really good point uh, because a lot of composers, either uh, in the Soviet Union or in uh, Nazi Germany had to tread that very fine line and one of the safest things you could do was to compose children's educational music you would never get in trouble doing that Mm -hmm. Karloff found that in Germany Shostakovich, Kabalevsky, Mm. Prokofiev children's educational music Mm -hmm. sort of protected you For a little while, Mm -hmm. well, for two years in Prokofiev's uh, situation, but it it was safe to do that kind of composition.
1: But you're suggesting that people outside of Prokofiev's circle might have taken it and politicized it, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: As far as the political message that might be recognizable by Russian citizens back then and maybe in the more recent past i don't know i I don't know how many uh, russians are willing to go that way you Hmm. know for for, i I think for a lot of people the music is enjoyable it's something fun it's a it's a a fun little story for kids maybe because the past the reality is so painful Hmm. uh, Hmm. a lot of people wouldn't want to to go there and you know stop short of reading too much politics into it. But I wanted to mention, I, I, I mentioned it to Tony just recently, in 2003, Michael Gorbachev did a recording of Peter and the Wolf mm. with Bill Clinton and uh, uh, Sophie Loren. Uh, and they actually did two versions of it. Uh, one was, you know, straight from the book, and the second version was a more updated A modern version where the poor, hungry, ragged wolf was roaming in, you know, dirty, filthy woods. It was an environmental statement. And they were trying to raise money uh, for a whole bunch of different charities. And Michael Gorbachev, uh, he uh, he made the preliminary statement for both versions. And uh, they actually... Uh, Got a Grammy Award in 2004 for that recording, um, which is interesting. You know, the timing of it, you know, the Soviet Union fell apart. Uh, That culture, uh, that past, that Soviet past, you know, was behind um, the Russian citizens. And they wanted to uh, look into the future with hope for something better. Hmm. And yet that story came back. There was a new spin on it which means that it, its message is broad enough that you know you can read a lot into it just because of you know the the images that are there you know the wolf yeah. is um, you can feel sorry for him because now he lives in in a in a in a, in a wood that's that's been run down by the civilization so mm-hmm. to speak uh, where's the grandpa? Well, the grandpa is probably even older than he was <laughs> in 1936. Uh, where's that young pioneer? Well, is he a, a party functionary or is he a successful businessman? What is he doing now? Uh. So you, you can kind of imagine a trajectory yeah. uh, and read Russian modern-day reality. You know, we're talking to you know the early 2000s into that story. Yeah. Um, but you can still see, you know, the... Th- those characters change, transform, huh. but still there.
1: But it might be, you know, w- what you say makes me wonder if sometimes we work to make more of the story than there is in the story, mm-hmm. you know. I'm thinking about what you said, Luke, about mm-hmm. the, the primary aims of the story to be, to educate children about the sounds of the instruments in the orchestra, mm-hmm. you know. And that in and of itself is, is a rich uh, experience, you know. Right. W- one need not have a richer experience than that to have had a rich experience. Right. And
2: the tale is just the pretext
1: yeah. for
2: for, outlying these, uh, for laying out Sorry, these, uh, these orchestral
1: instruments. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that impulse uh, as characteristic of the time, this impulse to, of, of composers like Prokofiev to create music designed to be educational.
2: Well, the other great example of that is Benjamin Britten's Young Person's Guide yeah. to the Orchestra, right. which doesn't have a story. Yeah. and is therefore less interesting <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, so perhaps a little more detailed and, and, mm. and you know, more accurate. But, uh, but the story really helps. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's an era in which the goal was to make the fine arts, the high arts, more available to the general public, yeah. uh, a lot more egalitarianism than had existed in the concert hall. Uh, before then, and certainly that was happening as much in the West as in the Soviet Union. Mm. Uh, so, like we, we want to make orchestral music something that uh, that everyone can enjoy on their own uh, level of understanding. And mm. and so there yeah, there's a, there's a big push for children's education uh, in music, or even education of the general public. Yeah. It doesn't have to be just children.
1: Katya, you're the one who, who talked about initial impressions of perhaps Peter and the Wolf being an all-male version of, mm. <laughs> of, uh, of Little Red Riding Hood. Do you have thoughts about that? Is there anything particularly Russian about the story of Peter and the Wolf?
0: Particularly and, Russian? Um, well, the fact that the little boy is left alone with a grandfather in the countryside, and he runs off. <laughs> that's, you know, that that's kind of what we did back then. You know, yeah. my brother was left in the countryside with our grandparents many times growing up. <laughs> so that was very, you know, something very familiar. The plot is, at least at the, at the get-go, it's, yes. it's, it's very familiar. You know, ducks running around, birds chirping, you know, and mm-hmm. the scary wolves uh in the woods nearby
1: it's important our 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 radio audience of course doesn't doesn't see this but katya you've brought your son with you too as well and and it makes me wonder what are some of the things peter and the wolf or other things that you're using to introduce your own children And this of course could be any of you at the table to the home of your childhood has peter and the wolf remained important in that regard well
0: i think as a parable as, as an example of a parable it's tremendously important i think again harking back to folk stories a wolf is not just a wolf a fox yeah. is not just a fox you right. know there's these are these are metaphors mm-hmm. these are these are stories that can be applied to our own lives and yeah. so many contexts you know i think um The best skill that we can develop as readers of those stories is uh, the interpretive skill. Uh, We have to read under the surface.
1: A conversation about a beloved old musical story written by Sergei Prokofiev. The story of Peter and the Wolf. Thanks to my guests, and thanks to you for joining me as we take a closer look at a story that we all thought we knew, but now know more about. There's a lot more Appleseed at byuradio.org Appleseed. That's where you'll find an archive of all of the episodes of the show. More than a thousand episodes now, and thousands of stories for your listening pleasure anytime you like. And of course, Google the Appleseed podcast, and subscribe for something new just about every day on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for joining us for a little something extra from The Appleseed. Google The Appleseed Podcast and subscribe for something new just about every day. The Appleseed with Sam Payne.